Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your marrying devotion. One of the things that I really enjoy about being a podcast host is sometimes I get to have conversations about things that I want to learn more about. And just the other day, I was on Twitter, and I saw a person tweet. His name was Jeremy Christensen. And so I uh, simply reached out to him after I saw his tweet, clicked his profile, read his bio, saw he wrote a book about his conversion story. I said, this is a guy I want to talk to because I know nothing about the faith that he converted from, except that, you know, there's a book associated with it. And so Jeremy is a convert from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church, and he recently authored a book with Ignatius Press called From the Susquehanna to the Tiber, a memoir of conversion from Mormonism to the Roman Catholic Church. So this is his story of conversion, and I'm grateful he's going to join me today. And I'm going to learn so much about the Mormon religion, I'm sure, and then ultimately why he left Mormonism to join the one true church, the Catholic Church. So thanks so much, Jeremy, for joining me today. Thank you very much, Father, for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so first of all, I mentioned the title of the book, Susquehanna, and tell me what this is. What What is that name, and maybe how does it relate to Mormonism? Yeah, so um, the Susquehanna is a, a reference to a river in the northeast United States, the Susquehanna River, um, that runs through a number of states and empties out uh, into the Chesapeake Bay. But its, its relevance to Mormonism is that uh, the the Mormon Church claims that in 1829, uh, Peter, James, and John, the, the apostles, appeared to Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon Church, on the banks of the Susquehanna River and uh, laid their hands on his head and, and bestowed on him the keys of the kingdom of heaven, uh, the apostolic authority that they had been given from our Lord that's uh, recorded in the book of of Matthew and the Gospel according to Matthew, and that this this forms part of the the claim uh, of authority that the Mormon Church uh, purports to have is is this idea that Joseph Smith was actually you know ordained by um, by Peter, uh, and and that is you know that that's uh, a a standard uh, Mormon belief, and so my book is about that. <clears throat> journey from going from holding those Mormon beliefs over to um, my conversion to Catholicism and, and believing that the keys of the kingdom reside with the Bishop of Rome. Well, how interesting is that, that he had an apparition of Peter, James, and John, so an apparition of the apostles, and, you know, of course, in our Catholic faith, we have Marian apparitions, so so who would have mm -hmm. thought that uh, another uh, religion uh, would have uh, something very similar to what we have as Catholics uh, with Our Lady appearing, and, and there have been other apparitions of St. Joseph and some other saints as well, so, so wow, that's, I, I had no idea, that's, I've already learned something about Mormonism, so, um, Joseph Smith is the founder of Mormonism. So was that moment, that apparition, the beginning of the Mormon church, or had the Mormon church already existed before that moment? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So it actually is not kind of the uh, beginning point. And historically speaking, uh, it's probably hard to say what what is exactly 
the beginning point. Um, before that time, um, Joseph Smith, uh, he, so he's, he's born in the Northeast United States, and the way that the LDS Church kind of tells the story um, is that this whole thing begins in 1820, uh, when Joseph Smith is 14 years old and claims to have what is called the first vision that in which he, he prayed in a grove of trees near his home and uh, had a theophany and, and claims um, to have seen God the Father and Jesus Christ in that theophany and that they told him that all of the other churches were not true um and that was sort of the beginning of his prophetic calling to restore the true church uh um now the the difficulty with sort of both actually that incident and the later incident about peter james and john uh is that both both of these events when you actually dig into the historical record are events for which there there isn't um really any documentary history of them having occurred at the, at the time he says they occurred or of him telling anybody about any of these things at the time, even though in the kind of canonical tellings of those stories, he does report these things to people. Um, but that they were later uh, kind of emendations, you know, revisions to the, the story of Mormonism as Joseph Smith's movement kind of gains momentum and is gaining followers uh he kind of retroactively you know is changing the history of mormonism to fit his evolving uh theology and ecclesiology and really probably the the actual starting point of mormonism begins in 1823 when joseph smith is um engaged in a magical treasure quest. So Joseph Smith uh, was well known as being what they called a, a treasure scryer or a treasure seer. And this was a common practice in the Northeast United States that you would have um, people who used occult or pseudo-occult kind of means to say find lost objects for people uh, or at the extreme end where Joseph Smith was purporting to be able to to look into a rock, a seer stone, um, kind of like a crystal ball, and see buried treasures that one could obtain if you knew kind of the incantations to, to get them and ward off guardian spirits that would guard them and, and whatnot. And this all sounds pretty fantastic, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, this is very, very common. And he began, you know, he was engaged in a number of these, and over the years, um, one of these stories uh, and, and quests he was involved in kind of changed. And by 1827, um, he he was no longer saying that there were just, you know, a golden treasure buried in a hill near his home that a spirit was guarding uh, and that he was on a quest to obtain, but rather that this spirit was an angel that God had sent to him. And these this golden treasure were, were golden plates that contained a record of an ancient Christian civilization that lived in the Americas, and that this was a religious, you know, revelation. 
Um, and so sort of that's really the, the way Mormonism starts when you dig into it. Uh, but by the kind of the late 1820s, Joseph Smith has, has kind of shifted this idea from its kind of folk magic origins into this religious project. Did that angel have a name? So, of course, we're familiar with the names of the archangels like um, Gabriel, Raphael, or Michael. So is, what's right. the angel's name in Mormonism? Yeah, so the he says that the angel's name is Moroni, and that Moroni, um, in, in Mormon theology, angels are, are a different thing. Um, and and it probably take a lot of time to explain the cosmology of how that all works, but um, angels are uh, the spirits of, of people. Uh, Mormonism believes in both the pre-existence of spirits and that and that what angels are are perhaps you know people who've deceased that God is sending back as a messenger, and and this angel Moroni claims to have been an ancient prophet. Um, you know the the sort of antecedents to the American Indian. And the Book of Mormon is what he's there to reveal to Joseph Smith. He says, on these plates, there's this history of my people, and God is calling you to get it and translate it, because it's going to help you restore the, the true religion. And the Book of Mormon purports to be a record of a group of Jews who left Jerusalem around 600 B.C. and um, traveled across the ocean and landed somewhere in the Americas, and and developed into sort of two big competing um, peoples or civilizations and and that they had sort of a, a, a dispensation of Christian teaching at that time and that they knew about Christ, they had prophecies about Jesus. And, and the book culminates in a visit from um, the resurrected Jesus shortly after his ascension to heaven on the American continent to to these people called the Nephites. Um, and Moroni is a character in the Book of Mormon who is in charge of, of these plates that have been kept generation across generation, and, and he ultimately buries them uh, before he dies in the hill near Joseph Smith's home where, you know, he appears later supposedly as an angel to tell Joseph Smith this is where they are. So let's talk a little bit about the Book of Mormon, as you just referenced it. So this is, um, would you say it's an addendum to the Bible? So, you know, kind of in Christianity, we have some of these apocryphal texts that we look at. So we have the Protevangelium of James, for example, or then there are some of these pseudo-gospels mm -hmm. or whatever. W would that be the consideration of what the Book of Mormon is, or what's the relationship of the Book of Mormon to uh, the Scriptures? Sure. So, for for members of the LDS Church, the Book of Mormon is Scripture. It is it is divine revelation, um, on par with the Bible. And they they look at the Book of Mormon as they say, well, you know, the Bible is a series of of you know the the recording of God's interaction with mankind in the old world, uh, and that the Book of Mormon is a record of God's interaction. That was also going on, but in the new world at the time. And like I said, it it's it, it starts with a family living in Jerusalem during the reign of King Zedekiah, uh, around 600 BC, give or take. 
and the and and the, the the sort of patriarch of this family is shown in a vision the forthcoming destruction of Jerusalem and captivity and they they flee off into the desert and but they have sort of a, a you know continuing revelations with God that, that occur through this long story and so they treat it as um, for Mormons it, it is scripture and that's not their only scripture Mormons have the Book of Mormon, um, the Bible, and they also believe that Joseph Smith received kind of specific revelations that were collected together uh, in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s, <clears throat> and they're in a book that's now called The Doctrine and Covenants, and they they see those equally as being scripture. Uh, for Mormons, they they don't have the conception that we as Catholics do, of public revelation, uh, that right, this distinction between public and private revelation, and that public revelation, you know, closed um, with the death of the apostles and um, uh, the writing of the New Testament. Uh, for for Mormons, uh, God is sort of continually giving new revelation to mankind. In our Catholic tradition. Uh, we often will pray with the sacred scriptures. So this practice, commonly called Lectio Divina, uh, popularized by monastics, St. Ignatius has his own version where it's imaginative prayer. Uh, would the Mormon people, would they pray with the Book of Mormon, or would you say that the Book of Mormon is more of a historical book for for uh, knowledge and edification that way? So... If you asked a Mormon if they pray with the Book of Mormon, I mean, I certainly would have told you, no, I don't. Um, do they? Do Mormons do something with the Book of Mormon that's very similar to this concept of Lexio Divine? Yeah. Um, it's not just... Mormons actually don't, typically. I mean, it's rare that I sat down and would just read the whole book cover to cover over the course of, of a while. You know, it's 500 pages or so. Um, but it was more, you know, returning to passages that have that one finds meaningful, and the belief that when you read it, God speaks to you through these passages as applied to your current circumstances. Uh, and so, in that sense, there there is a similar concept. Um, but the, you know, Mormons, strictly speaking, if you were to say what's what is prayer, that they are thinking in a more limited sense of verbally or in your mind directing yourself to god to make you know specific kind of supplications um rather than i think a bit a broader concept of prayer that pervades in catholic teaching and what are some of these basic tenets of mormonism because i think a lot of times we hear about you know that multiple wives or things like that polygamy etc so um is that really a part of mormonism and i guess what do they just believe in general sure so i'll, I'll take that I'll, I'll take on both sort of points the specific one and the more general um you know with respect to polygamy the lds church officially quit teaching that 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 its members should practice polygamy while they are alive uh in the early the late 19th and early 20th century so mormons don't practice polygamy anymore with the asterisk that, um, in Mormon theology, marriage, when performed in a Mormon temple, lasts forever. Um, 
you you are forever sealed to your spouse and there is no prohibition on um and and there is in fact an implicit belief in polygamy existing in heaven uh that a man if say he's he's married to his wife and she passes away um he can remarry and get remarried in an lds temple and be sealed to his subsequent spouse and he is the husband to both of them um and so that that idea is is still there and it makes sense within their own belief structure um and now i can get sort of the second part of the answer when you step back and look at their their broader cosmology their their idea of what salvation is about and and why we're here and where we're going so mormons believe in the pre-existence of spirits and they believe that prior to being born on earth we lived as spirit children of god in heaven and um you know god has a enormous family uh and the the eldest of his children is jesus and um that we were you know sent to earth to be tested to see if we would be obedient to god so that we could get a body like he has so in mormon theology god the father has a physical body um and you know we come to earth and get a body and be tested to see if we'll be faithful and that if we are if we're faithful then you go to heaven um and become like god and in fact become a god so mormonism uh, has either these are sort of technical terms and it kind of depends there are some different strains in mormon thinking but either a polytheistic belief or what is called a henotheistic belief a polytheism you know being the worship of multiple gods the belief in multiple gods and henotheism being the belief that there are lots of gods multiple gods but that they only worship one um and so some some thinking in mormonism would say they only worship god the father there is a plurality of gods. They think God became a god, and there was a god before him, before him, before him, before him, and so forth, back uh, forever, and that that continues forever. And and this is why it's important, you know, Mormon theology places a lot of emphasis on the family uh, because of this idea that you are sealed to your spouse, a husband and a wife, and to their children, and that they'll be together in heaven, and that they become gods. And that's the process of it, that a husband and a wife become gods, and they will have their own spirit children who will go down to some planet to be tested, and so on and so forth. Wow. Okay. So that's that. <laughs> with with their, that there's a lot there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. And, and there. This is just another thing that I've heard or know. I guess about Mormonism. And I know the, the popular website Ancestry DNA or Ancestry dot com is some sort mm-hmm. of branch of Mormon uh, research because I think genealogy is really important and it's really important because of rebaptism or something like that or baptizing the dead. Is that why yeah. Ancestry dot com exists? so that Mormons can baptize the dead? So I, I believe Ancestry.com is actually distinct from the LDS Church. I think it's actually just a business. Um, that said, you know, it, there are ties there, I think, and the LDS Church um, uh, has a massive genealogical database, 
And the purpose of doing that is for this concept you alluded to called baptisms for the dead. So um, there's a brief reference in, uh, I believe it's in Corinthians, and um, Paul's talking about the resurrection of the dead and says something to the effect of, um, you know, if the dead do not rise at all, then why are these people performing baptisms for the dead? He makes some reference to some group, Christian group, or, or maybe not, to some group that is doing baptisms for the, for, for the dead, baptizing vicariously or something to that effect. And Mormonism takes that idea and, and says, you know, the, their approach to the question of what, what do we do? What do we think about people who did not come into contact with the Christian message, right? From a Catholic perspective, we say, well, what do we do about the fact that there have been many, many people who, who don't know about Christ, who lived and died and didn't know about Christ? The Mormon response to that question is this idea of baptism for the dead, that, that Mormons do this genealogy and then in their temples go in and perform a baptism that is announced vicariously for this deceased person, and their belief is then that person who is living in a, in a spiritual world after death has the, the ability to accept that, and that, you know, Mormons do believe baptism is necessary for salvation within their scheme, and so that functions as a way for them to, to offer baptism to everybody. So this has been a great overview of what Mormons believe. Uh, I think I just have one more question about that, and then let's talk about why you left all of this. Uh, sure. But, uh, I remember, so I was in, I believe I was in Guatemala, and I was somewhere in the world, and I was living in this town for, for some time, and so it must be Guatemala, but there was a big Mormon temple in Guatemala, I think, somewhere mm -hmm. there. Yeah, and uh, there is. Uh, I, I heard I heard stories like there are beds that are in the temple, or uh, I, I don't know. What's a Mormon temple look like? Uh, there are, um, I mean, I think there's a bed in like, uh, uh, I've seen a bed once when they have like a, an office off to the side where if people aren't feeling well, they can like lie oh. down while <laughs> so I, so medical this assistance. Is... But as a part of religious ritual, no. Okay. Because um, I think someone and, and told could... me that like, like once you got married in the Mormon temple, you spent the night in the temple and consummated your marriage there or something. That's what I, no, that's so, what I believe someone told me while I was there. So that's what I've sure. always wondered. So I think that what that actually is referencing, so that, that does not occur in uh, Mormon temples where, and, and, but, but here's why I have to make the caveat. What I mean is, that does not occur in the temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the biggest branch of the family of religions that you could call Mormon. Um, there was a schism in Mormonism in the early 20th century over the question of polygamy. Uh, because polygamy was a was really we would call a dogma. And then because of you know pressures that were being put on the LDS church by the federal government, they got they did away with it. They claimed God gave us a revelation, and now we're not going to do that anymore. But there were people within the LDS Church who said, you can't do that. You can't change that. That's not a changeable thing. And that uh, created a schism. 
And from that came a group that are known as the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, much, 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 much smaller, um, but the, who continue to practice polygamy throughout southern Utah, northern Arizona, and a number of places, I think, in Canada and in Mexico. Um, and, you know, they, they had a—they they sort of branched off and did their own thing. And my understanding is when one of their—, their leader warren jeffs was arrested a number of years ago in texas for underage polygamous marriages that that there was something like that in their temples but but that um my understanding that's a that's an innovation a practice that that uh fundamentalist group um that broke off sort of came up with and to my understanding that's never that's never been a thing that the mainstream mormon church the the guy who's walking down the street in white shirts and ties and little black tags that's that we don't you know they didn't do that <laughs> i think i have another question about mormonism how sure. do they worship then so are there you know just like for me as a priest i have a parish and and so there are right. all of these catholic churches all over in my diocese like are there houses of worship for the mormons in a geographic location area or is there just like one place like how do they worship on uh whatever day they consider the sabbath sure yeah so um the answer is yes uh mormons have their their regular sunday meeting houses all over the place, um, and they're geographic, and you belong. What they call a ward is maybe a rough equivalent to a parish. I think generally parishes tend to be bigger, um, but you know it's a rough equivalent to say uh, an, a Mormon ward is the same thing as a parish, and they have a, a geographic area that if you live in that area on on Sunday, uh, you go to church at the meeting house and. Um, when I was a kid, it was three hours long. There were three meetings. You went to what they call sacrament meeting, uh, <clears throat> which is um, like a Protestant worship service in many ways. Like they're they sing hymns, um, uh, you know, prayers are given. They they do the Lord's Supper, uh, and um, then they have you know theological discourses. It's it's very influenced by Protestantism in that. Um, you know, the the preaching takes up the bulk of that meeting um, over and above the Lord's Supper, which they see as a symbolic thing and um, um, and and for them is more covenantal. It's not, they don't have a sacramental theology like Catholicism. And then there would be like a Sunday school meeting after, and then there would be, say, youth meetings or meetings for adults that are similar sort of Sunday school type type meetings and that's what they do on sundays and then the temples the big more sort of impressive looking buildings that you would see in salt lake city or i believe the one you're referring to is probably in guatemala city um uh there they do these what they call these sort of special ordinances um that uh are kind of additional rituals that they do that they believe are required for salvation you uh, were initiated into the Mormon faith. And so you were born into it, I'm assuming. And so you were Mormon your whole life. Did you have yep. reservations about what you were being taught? And ultimately, what brought you to that brink of saying, I need to maybe look at something else? Um, so so I, I never had reservations necessarily on 
on its own terms growing up. Um, you know, I come from a really devout family. My parents, um, you know, growing up in a devout Mormon household is probably not that different from growing up in a devout Catholic household. We we said prayers morning and night as a family. We read from the Book of Mormon every day. We went to church every Sunday. Um, you know, it's it it was a huge part of my life, and um, I was kind of a rebellious teenager, uh, but it wasn't like anything about Mormonism vis-a-vis some other system of belief. Uh, and, and I, you know, I really felt converted in sort of my late teens and I went on and I was a Mormon missionary in Argentina and came home. I got married in an LDS temple to my wife. We raised a family. We'd have four children at the time. And it was when I was in law school um, you know, just a series of events. I, I detail them in the book, um, but just sort of to be quick about it. Uh, you know, I had some experiences that kind of opened up some doubts, and I started to read um, early Mormon history. I started to find books about Mormon history that were not kind of the LDS-sanctioned published materials, right? These are books by independent scholars or or scholars who are not LDS um, and to read and and to say like what's really out there have I really been getting the whole picture and you know that that study was really what led me to believe that this isn't what I was taught it was that the, that the LDS church's claims are not true they're not correct that you know the story you're told about how Joseph Smith uh, produced the Book of Mormon is not what actually happened, and what actually happened is not something that really leads you to believe that he's a, a prophet of God. And um, <clears throat> and and so I, I, you know, I came to a point. I told my wife um, one evening, which was very difficult. She was still very. Uh, very active in the LDS church and our four children were being raised in the LDS church. I, you know, I told her, I, I don't believe this anymore. Um, and I, I continued to go with her, help her take the kids to church and stuff. But, you know, I would tell local leaders wherever we moved, like, I don't believe any of this. I'm not, I'm just here to help my wife. <laughs> um, and you know, it was a hard time. I was a religious person and it was very difficult to, have that time where you feel like your whole world is pulled out from under you. I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> it's it's not it's not fun. Um, and you know, th- there was I spent time just sort of searching, not for another religion, but kind of thinking I could cobble together my own idiosyncratic set of beliefs. And I, I still believed in God and had a vague sense of that. Um, I didn't really know what God was like. Because I, well, you know, I don't know that what Mormonism says about God is true, because uh, I don't really believe the story of Mormonism, but I don't know that it's any better or worse than what anybody else has to say about God. And uh, I, you know, quite by, you would say, accident or providence, I I stumbled across the Church Fathers. I had never heard of them before. I'd never read them before. And... Uh, and I was kind of interested in the idea of, oh, I, you know, I wonder what these earliest Christians outside the New Testament, what, what do they believe? Maybe they'll have some interesting things I could pluck from <laughs> to, to add to my own 
eclectic set of beliefs and and as i started reading through them um no no commentaries or anything just reading the writings of the fathers on their own terms and certainly not looking to become a protestant or to become a catholic or become anything else uh i was just really you know stunned and taken back by what i saw which was you know i read them and thought these people are catholic they sound like catholics they believe things that i know the catholic church believes you know they they believe in the real presence that this idea that when you take the eucharist that you're eating the you know the body and blood of jesus like this this is really there um and that kind of startled me i, I for whatever reason i really did not expect to see the imprint of the catholic church there so early on in the history of christianity um uh you know mormonism is not trinitarian and so to see um that that was a, a big deal to see the early church fathers justin martyr and others you know who used this this logos theology the way they would talk about the relationship between uh, jesus and the father and um to talk about jesus as god and to talk about the Father as God, but they clearly were not polytheists, right? They, they are, they're monotheistic, that there's only one God. You know, the language, the Trinitarian language of Nicaea, you know, develops over time and gets refined, but the, the notion, the concept of this relationship just jumped out at me, uh, that this is something these people believed, and um, the same with... with uh, apostolic authority of the bishops um and of the the really important place of uh, the church of rome in in the life of the church these things leapt out at me um one thing you know to maybe apropos for your podcast i remember there isn't a, a deep any kind of mariology <clears throat> in mormonism Certainly, Mormons are respectful of Mary, but but it's not like Catholicism. Um, and but I, I remember reading uh, uh, Ignatius of Antioch and Justin Martyr and Irenaeus of Lyon, and reading their Mariology and this idea of um, you know taken first from Paul, right that, that Christ is the new Adam, and them coming up. This, this idea of Mary as the new Eve and how they thought about kind of the, the overall process of salvation, of, of, um, of how sin and death enter into the world and through Adam and Eve and how uh, God saves us through the incarnation and the role that Mary played in that. And even that... Um, right, which a lot of, you know, the, the Mariology of the Church, of course, developed much, much more over time. And in some of those earliest sources, it's it's sparse. But even that, the central role that that Mary had, that they talked about, leapt out at me, um, right? As like, these people saw Mary as being really important to the story of our salvation, uh, so, so these things, you know, started to to trouble me and and uh, make me think about Catholicism, and that started my journey of of really studying it and and thinking about it and coming into contact with the intellectual tradition of the church and 
um, eventually starting to attend mass and and get a uh, get exposed to the beauty of of the church's liturgy, um, and and things kind of snowballed from there. When you made this decision to look into the Catholic Church, uh, were your parents still alive, and what did they make of uh, your desire to leave Mormonism? And what did your wife think as well? Yeah, so so my parents were, they still are alive, um, and I I told them when I was done with Mormonism because I knew it was going to make big changes in my life. And that was very hard for them. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate that. And and I, I've said this to many people. And my parents are very good and devout people. And and it's important. It's it's good to understand that it was hard for them, because religion is important to my parents, and they instilled that in me. That religion really is an important thing. It's not just a like, oh, what you like, what I like, we're all good. <laughs> Uh, that's not how my parents are. They're they're very kind and they're they're very tolerant, but but religion is deeply important to them. And so, of course, that was you know that was painful. It was very painful for my wife uh, when I first decided to stop being Mormon. And but but when I my my wife, as she recounts it, she could see the Catholicism thing coming from farther off than I could. Like, I would tell her things I was reading about whatever in the Church Fathers, and I wasn't sitting there in my mind thinking, I'm telling them to you because I'm thinking about becoming Catholic. I was just like, wow, these things are genuinely interesting. I, I really had no idea. I didn't I didn't know that, you know, as, as early as, you know, like 107, people are referring self-consciously to the Church as Catholic. I didn't know these things. I didn't, I didn't know that just how deep this idea of belief in the real presence ran. And she could kind of see it. And when I finally decided to become Catholic, uh, she was very supportive because, you know, it was a dark time, that kind of interregnum where where I wasn't Mormon, I wasn't Catholic, I was just sort of afloat. And it was a difficult time for me. And she could see that it was that it was better for as she put it, she she would frequently say, I feel like I got my husband back. He was Catholic, but I got my husband back. You know, um, so just personally, it was good for me. And uh, from the rest of my family, when I told them I was going to become Catholic, it was more, that's weird. <laughs> of all the things you could choose to be, they, they weren't, you know, upset or resistant to it. I had been not Mormon for some time and told them I was done with Mormonism. Um, uh, it, but it wasn't, say, particularly upsetting to them. It was more odd, I think, a little strange. Like, this is a weird thing to be, but okay. And has your wife now, has she come around to Catholicism? Has she herself converted, or are you practicing uh, two different religions within the home? Um, by God's grace and his inscrutable providence, <laughs> uh, my wife and all my children are now Catholic. My wife was baptized in June of 2021. Um, and our, some of our children were actually baptized Catholic before that. That's, that's kind of part of her story, but, but um, uh, we are all now Catholic. Um, you know, my boys uh, serve at the altar and, and uh, we really feel at home and it's been a, a great blessing to us.
Wow, that's an incredible story just to hear how you uh, professed one faith throughout your life, how you came to doubt that, and then how you came to find the Catholic Church. And uh, of course, I love the fact that Mary also played a role in that for you as well. So um, you relate this story in your book, your memoir. What, what compelled you to write this memoir of your conversion story? Uh, yeah, you know, I did not intend or sit down and was like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to publish it. I was actually, um, a, you know, conversation with a couple of people I had had um, who, uh, who questioned whether I really ever believed in Mormonism. And they said, did you ever really have a testimony of Mormonism? And I was shocked that people would ask me that. I, I, I really believed it. I mean, I was all in. It was everything to me. And and I kind of determined to sort of, you know, I do a lot of writing. I write uh, for a living, essentially. I'm a lawyer, which is 99% writing. Um, and I just personally sat down to kind of work through, like, okay, what happened? You know, I'm here now. And I haven't really worked through in my own mind what, what it is that happened. And I sat down and I just started kind of writing that story for myself of of how it happened. I I kept uh, keeping a journal is a very common um, thing in Mormonism. And I kept a journal uh, meticulously for over 10 years uh, uh, as an active Mormon. And, and I, you know, I opened up my journals and I read where I was at and during all of these, you know, periods of time and, and got something down. And I was talking to a friend about it who's Catholic. And he said, you know, you should think about publishing it. You, you know, can I take a look at it? I sort of show it to them. You really ought to think about turning this into a book. And, um, you know, I didn't really have much expectation that it would get published or, that people would be particularly interested in it, but I did some revising and put it really into, you know, book memoir format. And then I had another group of friends read it. Um, some people who used to be Mormon and are now Catholic and one who used to be Mormon is now Eastern Orthodox and some who um, are nothing at all. Now I have my wife read it. Um, she was sort of, Coming up, by the time I had finished it, she was kind of interested in Catholicism. I had her read it and and uh, some friends and, and give me some feedback. And um, and then I printed out the manuscript. I finished it. Uh, um, I finished it on uh, the day of my wife's uh, baptism, and um, and shipped it off to you know to a couple of publishers just just sent it in uh it was finished on june 12th 2021 the feast of the immaculate heart of mary and sent it off and a few months later you know i was very surprised to hear back from ignatius press who was kind enough to publish it and um to get that story out there and uh it's been it's been great to share that with people and and to hear people's reactions um uh people who are kind of in that same journey I was in and people who are in different stages of that journey. And um, so I hope it can be of some use to, to somebody. 
Yeah, you know, Ignatius Press is really great about publishing conversion stories and memoirs in that sense. Actually, in the very opening of this podcast back in uh, 2019, uh, when I launched it, uh, episode six actually featured one of those memoirs from Ignatius Press. It was Daria Little who wrote her story about coming from Islam into Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for your book. Again, as I opened with this show, that I know very little about Mormonism, and now I feel like if someone asked me about it, I could at least tell them a few points about it. And so I think your book, as I I page through it, you share a lot about what Mormons believe in there. And so uh, they're going people when they pick it up, they're going to learn so much uh, about this church, uh, about the Mormon church. And uh, but they're also going to learn why it was that you chose to convert to Catholicism. So if uh, people want to learn more about you, Jeremy, on uh, social media, or maybe you have a website, how can they get the book? How can they find you online? Yeah, sure. So uh, people can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is um, uh, tradvat2, uh, T-R-A-D-V-A-T number two. Um, they can find the book at, uh, you know, Pretty well, most major book retailers. Uh, they can go to Ignatius Press's website and find the book there. They can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, and other places. And uh, um, yeah, I, I hope people can go out and and I, I think it's a great opportunity for for Catholics in particular to get a story that's not an expose. It's not an attack. It's uh, a personal experience. And um, to come to sort of understand Mormonism, and because, you know, most Catholics know Mormon families and are friends with some Mormon families and, um, you know, love and respect them. And I think it's a a good place to help Catholics come to a better understanding of, of Mormon people that they know in their life. Well, that's great. Well, thanks so much, Jeremy, for sharing uh, your story and also uh, the background of Mormonism with us today. I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure everybody else has too. And I hope people pick it up and they follow you online because that's where I found you. I found you on Twitter. So thanks so much again. Yeah, thank you so much, Father. I appreciate it.